Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. Have you ever been diagnosed with something just because that's what the book said you had? Do you live with pain and body aches? Can changing my diet affect my health in a positive way? We're going to answer those questions and more with an individual that was so sick she couldn't even play with her daughter at the park. She found a solution that works for her and it could work for you. My name is Michael Hurst. I am your host. And this is That Thing About Journaling by Pain Away. My guest on this episode is Jennifer Delaney. She is a mother, a daughter, a sister. She takes care of her babies. And as she says, she's an extroverted introvert with a tiny house. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and your background, please? So my background, I kind of, I'm a jack of all trades, a master of few, kind of a crazy eclectic thing. But my big thing is I've been sick twice in my life. Um, the first time there was a car accident and some serious migraine issues that led me to a wonderful neurologist in Phoenix, Arizona, who's no longer in practice, but she had me do a lot with my food. And then fast forward another decade and I got sick. And I didn't know why I got sick. Um, if if I lead it down the road, I think I, if, if if somebody could go back and actually diagnose it back then, I probably had Epstein Barr was the big trigger, but I never really recovered. So I was in constant chronic pain. I had peripheral neuropathy in my hands and my feet. So pain, tingling, heat in my hands and my feet, like a diabetic would have. Which the doctors were like, "Well, maybe you have MS." maybe you have Parkinson's. We don't know what you have other than we're going to give you this fibromyalgia diagnosis. And that's what you're going to have. You're just going to have to get more sleep. And I'm a poor sleeper. So they said, here, have a bunch of pills, which made me a zombie. Um, but I was very, very sick. And I wasn't getting better, even with the tutelage of the doctors. And um, it was a miserable existence. And so I kind of had to break out on my own and find a solution because they weren't giving me one. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you and I have some things in common. I ended up with a severe rheumatoid arthritis and originally I went to a doctor and the first thing he said was, well, you have fibromyalgia and you give me some pills. And he said, take these and, and go about your business. Well, at the time, um, I was a working police officer and I had this bottle of pills sitting on my desk and uh, one of the firemen, the EMTs came in and he just happened to be, uh, it was after a call and he sat down and he picked up the bottle of pills and he said, where'd you get these? And I said, well, Dr. The doctor gave them to me. He said, why? I said, well, they said I got fibromyalgia and this is what I need to take. And he said, do you realize that you are not allowed to drive or operate a motor vehicle, nor are you allowed to carry a firearm when you're on these pills? And that's the first thing that opened my eyes because the doctor knew I was a cop and he still gave them to me. So I went on the same journey. I had to find different solutions and I had to say this wasn't, that wasn't solving my problem. So your journey actually is a very interesting one because you struggled with this. And what was your next move? So the doctor actually put me on a 10-day, 20-day elimination diet, which I don't know if you've tried those, but most people who try them fail at them, fail at them miserably. They're very restrictive. They're very narrow. Eat this, eat this, eat this. Do not eat anything that tastes good, kind of narrow. And after, after that period of time, I had a doctor's visit and I walked in and I said, I said, nothing's changed. He, and he announced like he had done me this wonderful favor, like he'd done this great thing for me. He goes, oh, well, it's not your food. Like he had just done something or found something for me. Help us understand exactly what a food elimination diet is so people know. It, it's very, 
is very restrictive, as you had said. Can you help us understand a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So some of your common triggers that they are going to tell you to eliminate all at once are going to be dairy, soy, um, gluten, probably going to limit any processed meats, most vegetables for at least this time period. Strawberries are highly allergic, oddly enough, um, certain herbs, certain spices, uh, nightshades. So potatoes, tomatoes, eggplants, um, no onions and peppers. So it's a lot of eating salad, fish, things that were prepared with no oil, no butter, um, no citrus. So imagine eating a dry salad for about two, three weeks and see how you feel about the world after a couple of days. And you're just like, this stinks. I don't want to do this. It's not any fun, which is why I feel like most people fail. I think that most people probably go back to their doctor and say, yeah, I did it and it didn't change anything when they didn't do it at all. Typically, when somebody's on a food elimination diet, how long is that process? Is it a week, two weeks, three weeks, five weeks? I would say that most doctors and most food gurus, health health professionals out there, you can buy a course on just about anything. It's, a, it's typically about 21 days, so three weeks. Um, I can tell you that Corn is not on anybody's elimination diet. And that was my food trigger. And oddly enough, corn is in darn near everything. Um, I And I can differentiate at this point in my life that it's got to be a corn solid, not a corn syrup. But corn is a huge factor. For me, it's the it's feeling like I have the flu or not. Yeah, that's interesting because um, I, as I told you, part of my journey, uh, which I can empathize with you again, is... When I had to find another doctor, I finally was diagnosed with the rheumatoid arthritis. And that particular doctor, when I brought up to him about food, he said, that's got nothing to do with your disease and there is no scientific basis for food having any effect on your disease. Ironically enough, today I manage my disease with food. So it's an important, the aspect that they say you are what you eat, 100% falls into place there. Corn's in everything. I mean... Corn syrup, corn starch, corn, it's in bread, it's in pastas, it's in it's in sauces, it's in it's in everything. Corn starch being probably my biggest nemesis. I can't have corn corn, like the actual corn. I can't have a corn chip. I can't have anything that says corn protein on it. I have to be careful about maltodextrin because it's often made with corn. But corn starch is hidden in things where they don't have to tell you it is. So that one's a, that one's even trickier. They can put it as part of the packaging and then they don't have to tell you. So most frozen vegetables, the plastic packaging is coated in cornstarch so the vegetables don't stick. Well, it gets oh, on the vegetable. That. I didn't know that. Yeah. Coffee filters, the big white basket coffee filters, those have cornstarch so you can slip them apart. And somebody only made me aware of that a year or two ago. Somebody said, oh, by the way, did you know? It's like, ah, no, wow. what? I... I know about certain certain pieces and every once in a while somebody fills in a gap where I'm just like, oh my gosh, I wonder if, you know, I wonder if it's that, you know, I was drinking commercial coffee. I was at somebody's business or something and I had that cup of coffee when I couldn't figure out why I backslid that day, why I was achier that day than I should have been. And it could have been something as simple as coffee filters. That's amazing. And, you know, and ha living your life that way has got to be difficult. I don't think it's near as difficult as being sick. That's a good point. I agree with you on that. Or, or did they put you on any meds? Are you on any meds now? No, I'm not. Um, they So what the doctor did put me, I told you that he gave me a bunch of pills. What he put me on was Xanax to sleep. 
And Xanax absolutely befuddled my mind. Um, I had to take it at six o'clock at night in order to sleep by nine o'clock at night, except I didn't remember anything between six and nine and didn't really remember most of anything else either. Like my child would ask me a question and the next day I'm like, you didn't ask me to do that. She's like, yeah, I did. Like, so then there were rules, but I, I was in massage school at the time. So I was learning about holistic healing and all of these wonderful things, except that I wasn't retaining anything because this was in that food elimination period. I was on Xanax every day. And so about three o'clock the next day, I would come off them. They'd come out. I'm, I'm a slow, I'm a slow burn. I have a hard time eliminating things out of my system. So they would stay in my long, in my system way longer than they were supposed to. So I was still groggy at three o'clock the next afternoon, except now that now that's coming out of my system and I'm having anxiety and anger outbursts. So I was a horrible, horrible, miserable person. I was in massage school and like missing huge chunks of information at finals time. I looked at a, at a student, somebody I had been in class with, and I said, oh my God, I have a final tomorrow. I don't even know what it is. She goes, didn't she give you a take-home final? Last year, they gave us a take-home <laughs> final. And I went, oh my God, I've had that for two weeks and it's due tomorrow. I had to go into my anatomy and physiology final and look at the professor and say, I need to write on Sharpie with a Sharpie on my arm so I don't forget to do this when I get home. So I explained the whole thing to her. Couldn't remember the parts of a kidney. I don't know how I passed that final, but I did. But I stopped taking the pills at that point because I knew I was losing. I had, I had lost whole days that I'll never get back. That's crazy. Is that... I know that you're not a doctor and by no means we are implying any kind of uh, medical knowledge here, but do you know if that's a typical standard practice of of, of uh, prescribing somebody that Xanax for fibromyalgia? The Xanax was prescribed specifically because I'm a very poor sleeper. So really he gave me the Xanax because of sleep. He had wanted to put me on something else, but I have very low blood pressure as a human and whatever he was going to give me, the side effect was lowering my blood pressure. I'm like, eh, that'll kill me. Thanks. No. Um, and then there was one other drug that they considered prescribing, but after hearing that people have gambling issues, addiction issues, all of these, the side effects were very strange and varied. I was like, no, I, I'm not a, I'm not a medication taker anyways. So I really needed to find a way to feel better that didn't have a medical intervention if I could. Um, how long, how long had you been tested, for example, for the Parkinson's and for the MS and for fibromyalgia and, and everything else? So what happened, so this was probably 12 years ago that I was diagnosed with the fibromyalgia. Um, and the doctor said it that I also have Raynaud's, um, which is where, uh, if I'm not well, and I, I don't currently, I'm not currently suffering from symptoms, but if I don't feel well and I touch something cold, my fingers go deathly, ghostly white, um, and can stay that way for hours. Um, but he's like, so you have fibromyalgia and you definitely have Raynaud's and you have something else. And I don't know what that is. And this guy literally looked at me, he goes, I diagnose five to six new cases of fibromyalgia every day. This is what I do. I wrote a book on it. I don't know what's wrong with you. And two visits later, he fired me when I told him I had been laid off that day. Even though I was paying cash for my appointments, he goes, just take get the Xanax from your regular doctor and you'll be fine. My doctor well, fired me. I like the fact that you talked a little bit earlier about getting um, a holistic and naturopathic approach. I think that although I have respect for certain individuals within the medical community, I believe that the majority of them and this is my personal opinion, the majority of them look in a book and they've been taught a certain way and they've been taught a certain protocol to follow and then they stick with that protocol. They don't treat the person individually. 
They don't say, I want to treat you individually. Let's work on you from your perspective. What are you feeling? What's wrong with you? Why is this working against you? Why is this working for you? So I think personally, I feel that it needs, uh, in my lifetime, we will not say how old I really am. In my lifetime, you know, I've seen a number of doctors for various reasons, and I've had five surgeries, and I actually was diagnosed being a wheelchair for five years, and uh, that I would never walk again. So I'm happy to say I'm not that way. I'm I'm up and walking around. I walk two, three miles a day, and I'm doing well. I stepped back from traditional Eastern, or excuse me, Western medicine, and I rely more on Eastern and holistic methodology. So I'm assuming that's kind of the route you took? Well, it's it's that. Um, one of the other things about physicians and our medical system that fails us greatly is they get only a couple of hours of nutrition in all of their training as doctors. And nutritionists even, they get a very Western medicine version. There is, I'd like to get my hands on some medical textbooks from about a hundred years ago, because I know for a fact they were treating people, they were treating gout, they were treating different situations with food. They used to do that, the, the, but we also used to eat different. We also used to have a different um, way of life, less blue light, more outside, more dirt in, you know, under our fingernails. And I think there's a lot of factors to that. Uh, but I also think there's a lot of great things, acupuncture and massage therapy and cold therapy. And there, there's a lot out there that they don't learn. So it's not on the radar and they're not getting paid to prescribe you going out and getting sunshine or true. taking a walk. Very, very true. So how did you learn about food journaling? So the journaling sort of came about with, so when I had the migraines, um, the doctor gave me a list of foods. She gave me two lists of foods. She gave me the foods to eat and the foods to avoid. And the foods to avoid list was way longer. And I, I jokingly refer to what I ate during that period of time in my biggest portion of healing as the white diet because I ate Cheerios, shredded wheat, bagels, cream cheese, pasta with no sauce. Like, and I jokingly, because they were, those things are all white, but it was bagels because there was no yeast, uh, cream cheese because it wasn't aged. Um, yeah. So I was very careful about, so I just dialed my diet down to nothing. And then over time I was able to expand that with her, the help of her lists. I knew if I ate a teriyaki chicken bowl, and back then soy was a horrible, horrible contributor to me, uh, I would have a migraine. I knew if I ate a banana, I was going to have a migraine. Now I can look at a banana and go, maybe I can eat that today. I can, like, I can internally assess, how do I feel today? Can I eat it? If I look at it, am I going to get a headache? If I eat it, I'm definitely going to get a migraine. Um, I still avoid things like sourdough bread that I love because I it was on this list that I played with. So when I got really frustrated with what the doctor said when he fired me, I basically said, okay, maybe if I take that list of foods and I start simple, then I went, yeah, you know what? I know some days I feel better than others and some days I feel miserable. How do I assess that information? And so what I did was I just got a notebook and I started writing down everything that I ate. It didn't matter if it was a drink, a mint, a piece of gum, everything that I ate. And if at any time during my day, my pain scale changed, good or bad, my energy level changed, good or bad, I made a note of it. And it just took some sussing out that every time I went to my favorite Mexican restaurant, 
I got sick and I am a glutton for punishment. So I took that data and I went, okay, every time I go to La Burrita, I love La Burrita. My mom and I would share this giant chicken burrito. It had salsa, it had guacamole, it had all this stuff in it. I'd eat chips and salsa till I wanted to die because it was so good. I'd eat all of this stuff and I was miserable. I like 45 minutes later, I'm on the couch. I'm done. Okay, now what? I feel like garbage. Okay, so I'm a glutton for punishment. And I tested every one of those things. That's an interesting approach, actually. But that allows you to kind of start eliminating what doesn't work and what works for you, correct? Correct. And it was, it really was a process of elimination. It took a very long time to figure out specifically that it was corn because the corn took so long to fully eliminate from my system. I wasn't sure if I was still having symptoms from that, but I went back and ate the burrito no chips and salsa. I went back and sat there one day and ate chips and salsa. I went back and ate the burrito with salsa, extra salsa on the burrito. Like I went back and it's like, all right, what's the, you know, if I remove the guacamole from the burrito, if I remove the sour cream from the burrito, like I tested and test, I go to that restaurant to this day, still get the same chicken burrito. It wasn't the chicken burrito. It was the corn chips. Wow. That's a lot of, that's a lot of testing. You just never know. Is it the oil that they're cooking the chicken in? Is it, are you, if you're eating it on a, if you're eating the chicken on a bun, is it really the bun? I have restaurants that I can't eat the bun on my cheeseburger because there's something about their bun. But if I eat the cheeseburger without the bun and I know in most big commercial restaurants now what I can eat, I know what I can eat at Chili's. I know what I can eat at TGI Fridays. I know what I can eat at on the border. Like I've tested some of this stuff kind of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to know that I can go out to dinner with my friends and have a safe choice. I can almost always eat fajitas because I can get them with flour tortillas. So, and I don't eat very many of the onions and the peppers and I still go out sometimes and I still get got, I still get poisoned. It happens every once in a while. I think I'm eating something safe and, or I'm not thinking about what I'm eating. My kid My kid works in a restaurant. She's my own personal food Nazi. She's 18 years old. Took food off my plate in a restaurant that she works in the other day. I sat down. I I knew she had already told me that there was cornstarch in the brioche bun. I ordered the burger without the bun. They brought the onion straws on the side. She goes, I don't know if you can eat that. Don't touch that till I come back. Went into the kitchen, read the label, came back and snatched them off my plate. She goes, you are not eating those. And the waitress had no idea who I was, is looking at her like, how dare you do that to a customer? She goes, it's my mom and she can't eat these. (laughs) (laughs) But it's about Um, what, like, it's a, she saved me from two or three days of misery. You know, I I can tell you, I I can attest to the fact that I am a vegan. Primarily, I do eat fish every once in a while, and I'm a gluten-free vegan, actually, because of my rheumatoid arthritis. In no comparison to your journey, obviously, each one of us have our own journey, but just to kind of validate what you're saying, with my rheumatoid arthritis, I was able to 20, 23 years ago, again, I'm giving away my age. Okay. It's okay. 23 years ago, I started with this because I was told that I couldn't that it had nothing to do and nothing affect, you know, nothing, it didn't affect anybody. But I had a Chinese acupuncturist that I was seeing and because I, I believed in holistic and naturopathic medicine and this uh, Dr. Fong actually told me, you need to eat differently. You need to change your food. Now, he didn't give me great big lessons in what to eat and how to eat, but him telling me I needed to change the way I eat then brought me to a food elimination diet. From that food elimination diet, I kind of did the same thing as you, but in a different manner. 
I think you've refined it immensely with journaling. I think that, you know, it, it, me, it was, it was still the, I'm going to test this. If it triggers me, I don't eat it. If it doesn't trigger me, then I eat it kind of a situation. So it has helped me to manage my rheumatoid arthritis. You still have fibromyalgia, correct? I don't think so. Don't think so? I don't think no. that that was the right diagnosis. I have a systemic allergic reaction to corn. And if I don't eat corn or anything made with corn, I probably run 80, 90%. And I think I always had this allergy to mm. corn. I can go back to being a teenager and my friends laying on the floor watching movies and they could sit there with their hands on their, you know, their head in their hands or in some contorted position. And I'm changing positions every five to 10 minutes. I it just, I was achy. I was sore. I think I always had it. I said, I think that that Epstein-Barr incident just really pushed me over the top and my body just couldn't recover from that. It took six months though to really flush the corn out of my system. That's amazing. Can you help us understand what Epstein-Barr is? So Epstein-Barr is the virus that causes mono. They, in high school and kids, you know, kids call it the kissing disease. Um, it's a very common viral infection, but it causes great fatigue, body aches. It takes four to six weeks to recover from. Kids who get it stay home from school for a month, basically. They're, the fatigue and the brain fog is pretty significant. And you kind of got to get through that viral load. But I think because I hit a plateau where I was kind of okay. And then I was just not I was plummeting. So I, like I said, I think I always was maybe a little bit achy was always, you know, was maybe I always had this allergic reaction to corn, it was just on a milder scale until my body was just in overload and couldn't take it anymore. And the thing about the corn is it took six months to finally fully flush out the peripheral neuropathy in my feet. I can bring that back with a corn chip in 45 minutes. Yeah, that's that's amazing how the reaction, how well, both reactions to, to it affect that quickly and in, in, in taking you that long to get that out of your system. I think people I think people underestimate really how how long it can take to heal a body. And for me, it was healing from that inflammation. I mean, neuropathy is a nerve pain. So when I get inflamed, it hits those certain centers and that's where my, you know, it just happens to be that if I eat something contaminated with corn, I have a, in 45 minutes, I know that it, it probably less than 45 minutes, but after 45 minutes, I'm like, uh oh, my feet are tingling. My face feels like it's sunburnt all of a sudden. My lips feel like they're sun or wind burnt really bad. And then the, and the aches are starting to set in, but those big things, it's like, oh no, I know what this is because I can get a little achy. If I ate eggplant, I'm going to have arthritic hands, what I call my Hulk gloves. If I eat too many nightshades, if I eat, oh, if I eat a big plate of spaghetti and I love a big plate of spaghetti, I love marinara, but I'm going to come out of that one not with the fibromyalgia symptoms, but with arthritis symptoms where I, I, we jokingly call it in our family that I have my Hulk gloves on. I can't open a jar. My hands feel fat. They feel like my fingers are giant fat sausages. They're achy. They're stiff, but it's, it's a reaction to that food. Do I push the envelope on that one? Yeah. I love spaghetti. I do it every once in a while, but I try not to do it very often. But it takes a couple of days to fully flush that out of your system. And that's how food journaling really helped me was I wasn't always looking at what I immediately ate. I was often looking at what did I eat for the last couple of days? Did I eat several things? 
did I compound that bowl of spaghetti with something else and something else and something else, which is exactly what I did with the migraines. I know that if I ate teriyaki chicken today and I had an avocado tomorrow, if I ate sourdough toast the next day, I'm very likely to have a migraine, full blown. God forbid I ate a banana in there, done, absolutely done. Do you feel that each individual, they would have to go through their own journaling to find out what affects them? Or do you think something affects it overall? So something that, like, for example, my arthritis, I don't eat pasta sauce. I grew up, I grew up eating Italian. My family, I've got family who are Italian. And, and I missed that, which I got to tell you about a pasta when we're done here that you can try. Um, it that you can eat, actually, I think. Um, when I eat certain foods, I know for a fact that it causes inflammation in my body. I have told that to other people who have the same disease that I have, and they've gone, oh, well, that doesn't bother me, but this does. So do you think it's inherent with us individually, or is it a generalized? I think there's certain things that you can probably tell people, please avoid these foods. They're almost always going to be inflammatory. People underestimate corn, and maybe they don't have the reaction I do, but anymore, I, I refer to processed packaged foods as food-like product, and I consider corn a food-like product. 150 years ago, it was probably a wonderful thing to have on our diet, but it's just not anymore. I think the food journaling is important because yes, nightshades, night, nightshades may only give you a little bit of stiffness where they give me a lot of stiffness. Where they give somebody else, they put them down for two days. It's very individualized, but the big thing about my food journaling is I didn't change anything for the first month. I just collected data. I don't want anybody to change anything because you might miss something. You might miss that you always eat that breath mint that you pick up at that one restaurant and it's got a particular kind of sweetener in it that you need to know you trigger to. The whatever, and I can't pronounce it. I'm not even gonna try. We're not even gonna, if there's there's a P and an H and a whole bunch of vowels in it, and I'm not even gonna try. But the sugar-free icebreaker mint, it's the same thing in Coke Zero. I couldn't figure out why. Like, and I wrote down everything, literally everything. So the mints were on my food journaling. And that afternoon I'm having an I'm having an episode and I'm and I'm not feeling very good. But I didn't eat anything that was off my that I thought was a problem. And it turned out it was the mint. And then I could trace it back to, oh, I have the same problem with this other food. And I, oh, I have the same problem with Coke Zero. And I'm not a huge advocate of artificial sweeteners, but it was important to figure out that this particular thing is a trigger for me. I don't know anybody else who feels like crap after eating an icebreaker mint. They are the size of a dime. They're these tiny little things, but I'm so in tune to my system. I've spent so much time saying, how do you feel? Like, I want to know, I'm checking in with myself all the time. It's like, how can I make this better? I only want to feel better. Well, you can count me as one of those individuals because I can't eat them either because of the artificial sweetener that's in it. Is this a very intensive type program that somebody has to follow? Like if somebody wants to start journaling, tell me the commitment that they need. The commitment is very simple. You can do this however it works for you. I like it on paper because at some point you're going to have to lay it all out. So doing it digitally, as long as you can print it out. So I don't care if that is Evernote. I don't care if that is um, a Word doc, uh, a Google doc. I don't care if you are lazy as all get out and you can only get through and snap a picture of what you eat. Or if you want to carry a notebook or if you, I actually have a whole little form 
that has a check-in. Did you, did you get any exercise? Did you, did you want to drink water, a pain scale? How did you feel in the morning? How'd you feel in the afternoon? Scale of one to 10. But the commitment is just to write down everything that you eat and don't cheat yourself because if you leave something off, if you're embarrassed enough to not write it down for yourself, you're going to lose something there and you're going to need it. The deal is after 30 days, we lay it all out. Take a color. This is it. This is the whole entire thing. I'm going to give you the whole entire program. Nobody has to buy it. Take all that data after 30 days, lay all those papers out, take one color marker, take a pink highlighter and everywhere you have written down that you felt worse, I want you to circle it. Go back through that whole entire pile of paper and circle all the places you felt worse. I want you to go back with a different color marker and write down all the places you felt better. So you woke up in the morning and you felt like crap, but by afternoon you felt better. Okay, let's let's celebrate that. Let's find all those places that we felt better. Maybe there's something that we're eating or doing. Did we get a walk that day? Did we drink more water that day? Let's we'll look at that later. But you take all of those pages where you have that pink mark that you felt worse, and we're gonna look at directly back what you did in the last couple of hours before that. What have you done since you got up that day? And this, the patterns just show themselves. Okay. Every time I eat a ter- cheeseburger and fries, I feel like crap. Doesn't matter if I eat it from Wendy's. doesn't matter if I make it at home. doesn't matter if I, you know, pick it up at a, at a decent restaurant. doesn't matter. Every time I eat that. Okay. Well, obviously there's something to work through here. Is it the meat? Is it the bun? Is it the whatever accoutrement? Was it a you know bacon jam burger? Did it have some fried onions? Did it have something? Because I write down what's in this thing that I wrote. If I didn't make it at home, I'm gonna write down kind of like okay this this burger had a you know had a whole wheat bun, had lettuce, had tomato, had mustard, had ketchup. So at the end, you then have to kind of delve into that. Okay, well, all of these times that I felt bad weren't cheeseburgers, but every time I felt bad, there was a tomato involved. Whether it was a slice of tomato, whether it was ketchup. Ketchup is this thing with me. I love ketchup. I shouldn't. It's horrible, sugary nastiness. I love ketchup. I don't have as much trouble with French fries if I use ranch. As long as the ranch doesn't have cornstarch in it, as I did with ketchup. Concentrated tomato products. We go back to the bowl of spaghetti. We go back to pizza. You condense it down. I have a a bigger reaction. I could probably eat a slice of tomato and not have any reaction. I don't like them. I don't do it. I'm not testing it. But you find your triggers and they just start to pop up. And then once you have that data, then you have fewer bad days. You keep tracking it. And if you have fewer bad days, then the triggers become more obvious. Oh, every time I eat that, every time I eat jalapenos, I don't know, because some people don't do well with peppers. Maybe you just, maybe you have this odd reaction to this one thing. But like I said, corn wasn't on anybody's elimination diet. And I think there's a lot more people out there who have a corn issue then really realize. And they, like I said, it's not on anybody's elimination diet right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I agree with you. Corn is in my research, in my studies and dealing with my disease, I found that corn was uh, corn syrup, corn starch, corn, everything. They put it in everything because it's cheap. Mm-hmm. It's cheap to make, it's cheap to produce, it's cheap to process. So it goes as a filler, it goes in as anything and everything it goes into it and that didn't happen until like uh about 25 years ago intensely prior to that corn syrup wasn't even like uh, prevalent anywhere no even soda was made with sugar back then 
Exactly. So they found, oh, this is cheap. This is quick. This is easy. And a quick feller. Corn, I, I don't eat beef. I don't eat any meat other than the fish I told you about earlier. But you have corn-fed beef. Everybody loves corn-fed beef. But I have found people in my discussions that can eat grass-fed beef, mm -hmm. but can't eat corn-fed beef. And that makes a lot of sense. I have a friend who can eat the chickens grown on her own land up there in northern Arizona. But if she buys chicken in the store, all of the antibiotics, all of the fillers, all of the cheap food, her chickens are out eating bugs in the grass. They are doing what chickens do. They're picking at the ground. They're eating some fruit. They're eating some scraps, but they're out eating bugs. They're out, you know, they're out being these omnivore little I think they're pterodactyls. Chicken. I think they're, yeah, <laughs> they're velociraptors wrapped up in some extra fluff. I don't know. But I mean, I really think that, you know, because they talk about, oh, well, it's grass finished or it's grass fed beef or I've actually learned some horror stories about how they can write that on the label and it not even be exactly true. It's yeah, it was grass finished, but they left a giant thing of corn out there in the field for that cow just to do whatever it wanted. With. So I believe you... that what we eat, you know, what we eat and what we eat eats. You're not just what you are, what you eat, but you also are what you ate, ate. That makes sense. It does make sense. That's, that's profound. You should write that down. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely somewhere. <laughs> but I think that the other thing that people, you know, like I said, I know my food, but I can tell you about three years ago, I figured out not, and it wasn't a surprise that certain environmental triggers are environmental triggers. I know a woman who has had, she has rheumatoid arthritis and she's had it for many, many years. Well, I'll be darned if she does not go to the salon every other week and have her nails done. And I said to, I said to her, I'm like, have you ever considered that the chemicals that you're putting on your body could possibly be affecting your health? Oh no, it couldn't be that. I will tell you, I, I actually have I, a friend took me for a pedicure. So I have toenail polish on. I'm not going to tell you. I never do it. But I very, very rarely do na nail polish. It's not the nail polish for me. It's the removal of said nail polish. The acetone, the, the, it absorbs into your skin. And if it's something long duration, like having a fake nail melted off my skin, and if it's a strong enough chemical to debond a chemical structure, it's not good for your body. But I will be achy and feel sick for two or three days because I had nails on and I had to have them removed. It's not worth it. Yeah, I do agree with that. How do you feel about, um, do you think there's a difference between, or, or is it important between organic food and regular food? That's kind of a, I think it all depends. You know, there are organic farmers who are really doing great things, but to be certified organic means you don't use a certain class of pesticides. It doesn't mean you don't use any pesticides. I think no matter what, you should be diligent about cleaning your produce. I think if you can go to a farmer's market and eat something sourced locally, organic or not, you're still in a better place than something that was shipped over from Argentina or China or, you know, BF somewhere that we don't even recognize, or you don't even know where your food comes from. So that, that's kind of a tough one. I would rather you ate locally sourced produce and knew where it came from than worried about whether or not it was organic or not. I'm not a fan of GMO though. That's, well, that's a problem for me. That's a problem. Well, yeah, I can understand that. When you were talking earlier, actually you opened my eyes in regard to the um, cornstarch on the packaging. That one's a big one. Yeah, because we do use frozen vegetables and they're organic, but I've never looked at the packaging to see whether or not, but how it's can not you on, tell? It's not on the label. 
See, it's not on the label. It's good. They don't have to. They don't have to put it on the label, even though even though it's a food thing, and they know it's going to go into your body. They don't have to put it on the label because it's technically part of the packaging. So finding out, I don't know how you're going to find out. I just know it's a thing. I don't. You know, I've seen packages where there was enough where I could swipe my fingers and go, "Hey, look, there's some cornstarch." And then I've seen some that look really clean. So you might you might be in a situation where you really have to dive down the rabbit hole. And call the company and say, are you using this in your packaging? I'm allergic. Because there's other stuff they could use. Um, so cornstarch is very easily swapped out with arrowroot powder. Um, it's this, it, It'll work as a thickener if you needed something. And it's something I use with people who are gluten-free. Stay away from the corn here. Use arrowroot powder. Um, there's a couple of other things. But, but yeah, when it's in the packaging, just how do you, how do you know? Unless you really, unless you can get the company to admit it. And they may never do that. But it might answer a few questions because I've always had this lingering, just just won't go away type achy feeling that, that just won't go away. And it's got to be, because I use a lot of herbs. I use a lot of natural stuff that I'm not on any biologics. I'm not on any medication for my rheumatoid arthritis. I manage it with my food and I manage it with herbs and I manage it with acupuncture and things like that. And it does a pretty good job of it. But I still kind of have this little lingering. You open my eyes. I'm going to have to explore that because that might be the lingering. I'm going to poke you one more time about your herbs and your supplements. Again, packaging and with herbs, if they are a tight packed herb, like a like a pill form where they take the herb and they condense it down, they are often using cornstarch as a binder. So you have to be careful in some of those things about what they're using. And if you're using like an herbal tincture, did they use a corn alcohol to make that tincture? That's in good information to pass on. I personally watch for that because I learned my lesson with that some time ago from Dr. Fong, actually, um, had told me about that, to be careful in, in specifically where to go get the my powdered herbs, you know, not the ones that you buy at the store, like turmeric. I use turmeric, but I use inorganic turmeric that that is, that it's not uh, washed, it, you know, it's not like... Um, it's not chemically saturated already before. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I totally understand that. And having a good source is really important. I actually have kind of started keeping, uh, keeping kind of this random list because I, I will still occasionally poison myself with corn. I (laughs) grabbed a piece of Butterfinger candy about a week ago and I didn't sleep real well that night. I was just extra achy. And the next day I'm in the kitchen and I'm reading the package. I'm like, ah, no, <laughs> I don't eat Girl Scout cookies because there's cornstarch and Thin Mint. So yeah, I used to love Thin Mint. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Well, because, well, not doing gluten. Yeah. I I do. I know of an off-brand. I know of a company that makes them, makes a comparable, if not better product that has no cornstarch in it. It's not gluten-free. Sorry about your luck. I, I can't, I can't sway yeah. you on that one. Um, I think I'm probably better for not being able to gorge myself several times a year on Girl Scout cookies, but it, you have to be diligent, and the only person who's going to do it is you. So true. You've got a book that can help people, right? So I have a really simple ebook that people can download if they want to kind of have a little bit more about my journey and why I got to this point. And you know, it, it lays out everything that I do. Uh, you know, I also have a course if people really just want their hand held and you know really need a sheet, need a piece of paper that ex- you know that has this is your food journal. Print this out. There's people who can do it. Like I said, you can do it with a notebook. You can. I don't care how people do it. I don't care if you pay me to do it. I 
I want people to get better. And however it works for you, if, you know, people are like, oh, it's so hard to keep track of all of my food. No, it's not. We all have a smartphone these days. Take a picture of what you ate for lunch and write it down when you get home. It doesn't have to be complicated. You just have to be honest with yourself and do it. But yeah, my ebook is, it's a, it's a short read. It's not going to take you more than an hour, maybe at most. I don't even think it'd take that long. Maybe I should sit down and read it and figure that out. Yeah. And that puts you on my email list, which if you want off right after, I don't care. But, you know, I throw, try and throw some recipes on there, um, some some quick tips, some some of my failures, because occasionally I do. I have a major failure. The, the Butterfinger was a pretty minor one. But every once in a while, I have something super big that I'm just like, wow, I went down that rabbit hole and I didn't think about it. And now I've been sick for a week. Packaged nut, those in the convenience store, being a vegan, this might be a thing for you. If you ever like you're hungry and you're out and you're like, if you're occasionally we're not prepared. Those of us who've been sick tend to be prepared, but I thought, okay, I'm going to go grab a bottle of water and a package of nuts. And I was like, Ooh, smokehouse almonds. Those look so good. Smokehouse almonds put me in bed for a week with some of the worst brain fog. I couldn't keep my sentence structure straight. I don't really know how I drove home from the event I was at safely because by the time I hit my bed, I was a disaster. And it took me two days to go back to the package and realize it was the nuts. I was like, where did I, where did I get poisoned? What did I do? I chose not to eat at that event because I was already feeling bad. I'm like, I don't know what I did. How did I, how did I make this mistake this far into this journey? Honey roasted, uh, most small packages of nuts that you'd pick up in a convenience store, I've not found one yet that doesn't have cornstarch, corn protein. Corn protein? I don't even know what that is, but it's on my nut and I don't... I don't, I don't know what don't that know. is either. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it was the first time I had seen corn protein listed on an ingredient list rather than something like corn starch. You know, what blows me away, and this again is just a personal opinion, what blows me away is the, the huge amount of use in regard to anything dealing with corn. Everything that I've learned, and because I can't have it either, it's a trigger for my inflammation and my arthritis, bad trigger, um, where it will put me in bed as well. And we have to read every... And, and I'm just putting this out there because you know this, but yet we have to read every label when we go shopping. We have to look at everything. We have to look what every ingredient is before we buy something. And we've gone places before where, you know, I have specific restaurants that I know I'm safe to eat at. Mm-hmm. because I know them. And we're back enough where the wait staff and the chefs know, oh, well, you know, hi, Michael, how you doing? And, you know, we got you covered, basically. I eat the same thing, mm-hmm. but they know how to fix it. They know what the triggers are and they stay away from it. Because like Chinese food, Chinese food, you go to get any kind of Chinese food and they use cornstarch as a thickener. Mm-hmm. So if, even if you get a white sauce, it's got cornstarch in it. So you have to say, I, I want a, a white sauce, but no cornstarch. You have to specifically tell them no cornstarch, no soy, no this, no that. They'll do it for you, but you know, it is it's difficult. Well, and there's just, there are tricks in the food trade that people don't understand. People are like, oh, well, I get my soy sauce with no MSG added. You got your soy sauce with no extra MSG. Soy naturally produces MSG. And so there is no soy sauce without MSG. It's just, it's not a thing. So if you're sensitive to soy, it's always going to be there. That's interesting. 
actually. Are there any words of wisdom? Um, I think my biggest, there's two things. Give yourself a little grace. We are all very, very hard on ourselves. And when we're sick, we tend to just beat ourselves down and that doesn't do anybody any good. So give yourself a little bit of grace. The other thing is being sick is hard. It is. It's really, it's way harder than getting better. You can do it. I have done it. I thought, I thought there was no way out and that my path might not be the path for everybody, but being sick is harder than anything that you have to do to get back to a functional human being. Those are excellent words of wisdom. How can somebody find your book and your course? So the easiest way to do that is probably go to, I'll have a link um, in my bio on Instagram. My website is under construction right now. So the Jen Delaney, so 2NGen, J-E-N-N-D-E-L-A-N-E-Y. So the Jen Delaney is where you're going to find me on Pinterest, on Instagram. Um, I even have a business page on Facebook. I'm not super active on there. I do try and pop a recipe in or an anecdote. I'm trying to be better about that. I just social media, but I think I'm Maybe I'm just, maybe I missed the boat on that one. I don't know. Trust me, I'm right there with you. My daughter has to handle some of that for me because I just say no. I will make sure that you will have those links in my uh, show notes too after this episode is done so people have another way just to click and then go to your Instagram or wherever else you want them to go. That'd be awesome. Thank you very much for sharing your journey with uh, me and with my listeners. I think that uh, you've given me great insight. I have hope that we've helped to teach them that there is uh, an option at the end of uh, the tunnel, basically, and that food journaling is an option, especially if you are feeling pain and you don't know where it's coming from. Don't always take the first diagnosis that you hear, kind of explore what else may be out there. And this is a wonderful way to go. So thank you very much. No, I appreciate you letting me help get the message out. And I just, I love to share this message. I've been sharing it for over a decade once I really had it dialed in myself. I just want people to get better. I don't care how you do it. That's the end of this episode. Thank you very much. I appreciate you listening. Please check the show notes for links to follow Jennifer's Instagram and how to get more information in regard to her program and her free book. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.